0: So James chapter 1, we're talking about authentic Christianity. James has been moving us in this direction. He's, he's a unique writer. Number one, he's the writer who's the Lord's brother. Uh, he is the half-brother to Christ. And so we're grateful to have his insight. You know, for the majority of the time, all the time that Jesus was ministering on earth, James, among the rest of the family, was... Rejectors of Christ. They didn't understand him as the Messiah. And it wasn't until after the fact, when they saw him dead and then three days later resurrect from the dead, that's when it all gelled for them. And James is one of those. So he gives us a unique perspective of life and the teaching of Jesus. He heard the words of Christ that were being communicated. And he will often in this passage, in this section of of his writing, this letter that he's written is going to dial in on the great Sermon on the Mount. In fact, you'll see a lot of parallels in what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount with James writing in this text. But if you remember, as we're talking about authentic Christian living, we're talking about living the expression of our faith that is in christ and these writers are coming at different angles the apostle paul was helping people to come to clarity for the need for the messiah and that jesus was indeed the messiah and that he alone could be the one to save people james is coming from a different angle james is saying now that you are saved now that you have been transformed here's the life in which you live the authentic life of one who has come to christ so living the expression of the truly redeemed life that's what james is focusing in on now if i could just go back for a few sundays and catch you up we talked about first experiencing new life by god's word and it's a new life that god gives to us that's a gift it's not something you earn new life in, in faith comes as a gift in fact james 1:18 says of god's own will he brought us forth he created us he spoke us into this life of christian living into spiritual life and he did so by the word of truth that we should be a first fruits of his creation his creation is creatures that are being redeemed so all things are coming to redemption all things are going to be reconciled in the new heaven and the new earth god is going to make all things new but he's saying in your faith in christ that you are a kind of first fruits of that it's the beginning of that and so this implanted word that God brings to us life eternal life life from above is where James is pointing to then look at the next slide here we ought to be eager to hear and respond to God's word because that produces righteousness in us so we're justified by the word of God we're made new by the word of God and that same word begins to work in us by the Holy Spirit to actually bring righteousness to us it produces righteousness it's an amazing truth and then the 21st verse says put away all filthiness and wickedness and receive with meekness God's implanted word so you've been saved justified by the word of God and now he's saying live out that implanted word by choosing what is righteous in the word and rejecting the things of the world that are filthy those things that are wicked in the world And then 22 says we ought to be intent on studying the Bible and actively do the Word. And that's where we were last week, being an active doer of God's Word, just purposefully doing what God's Word instructs us to do. And that brings us up to our passage for today, beginning in verse 26. And let's read it together. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless religion that is pure and undefiled before god the father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world let's pray together now lord we've read your word we've heard it now with our ears we ask that you would give us spiritual ears that we might take the treasure of your truth and let it impregnate life into our heart that our words and our actions would be very different Make us more holy today, like Jesus, I pray, through this word, amen. Well, first, I want to give you a disclaimer, and the disclaimer is simply, religion could keep you estranged from God. If you're already removed from God, you're not in relationship with Him, religion could actually keep you in that place. Because religion is a working out of faith. If you don't have faith, if you don't have new life in Christ, the workings of religion aren't going to do you any good. In fact, they'll give you a false sense of hope. And here's the second thing that I want to mention to you. It's a warning. Don't fall for the rhetoric that Christians must be anti-religious. I have some friends that have this as their attitude that they're Christian they're not religious well my friends if you're Christian then you're going to practice your faith and that's called religion so this whole idea of I'm not religious because I'm a Christian that's ridiculous you have a doctrine that you're believing in and that doctrine is exercised and that exercise of doctrine and faith is what is called religion today so James is not anti religion what he is saying is heads up your religion might be deceiving you And religion needs to not be an external force trying to transform you internally. Religion actually comes when we are transformed internally by Christ, and then we exercise out that transformation with bona fide religion, which is given to us in the scripture. So James isn't against the practice of Christian religion. In fact, he recognizes that that's pretty important. Coming together in services and activities like this, being active in the church mission, practicing traditions and rituals, even being devoted to the scripture, that's all good. But when you discount it, when you pull it out of your salvation in Jesus Christ, all that's really no good at all. It all has to be rooted in your saving grace that has been extended to you by God through Christ Jesus. So Christ-centered religion is an outward expression of an inward transformation. It's this inner working of Christ that brings transformation. And it is the practice of our faith. That's what religion is for us. It's not that we're trying to say, oh, I'm going to be religious so that maybe one day God's going to be happy with me. No, no, no. We come to him with all of our sin and he heals us. He forgives us and he imputes righteousness in us and in that we want to exercise what god has done we want to exercise truth and our faith and that's good religion so the people that i know that are genuinely saved they practice religion they do things like this they read their bible and pray they gather together in corporate worship regularly they practice discipling other people they practice spiritual disciplines they fellowship with other saints they uh are obedient to the great commission they're very genuine genuinely um, generous people they are vulnerable and they care for the vulnerable as well and all those are practices of religion that comes from their genuine transformed heart so someone saved by christ shouldn't discount any biblically instructed religious practice and someone unsurrendered to jesus christ shouldn't think that their religious practices are going to save them see that both goes both ways you can't discount what god has told us to practice which the world calls religion and you can't practice the christian faith the things of faith without a transformed heart and think that you're going to be saved so it's really important that we understand what what james is sharing to us and how he's wanting to give us a test to see if what we're practicing is genuine now jesus wanted that as well Jesus gave warning to people who were very religious but who had not been transformed in fact you've probably seen this passage before and by the way Jesus is very direct when it comes to people that are religious but not transformed because he wants them to understand that that's they're they're acting in ways that might give them a false hope to their salvation now you can't get anybody that's more religious than scribes and pharisees Their whole life was dedicated to the religious practices, to knowing God's law and practicing God's law. But look what Jesus says, woe to you. Now, if you're a reader of the Bible, you see that fairly often from the Lord when he's dealing with people who practice religion without having faith. And what that's a judgment pronouncement. It's it's helping them to identify that God's judgment is against them so he's saying woe to you religious people scribes and pharisees he says you're hypocrites now for them that was a very vivid word because in the productions that they would have the day the dramas they were typically not there was not a full cast of characters there were masks And you would literally hold up the mask and you would act out that person's part. Then you might pick up another mask and put it in front of your face and act out that person's part. And one person could actually have a lot of different personas that they're taking on by these masks. And that's what is a hypocrite. It's somebody who puts up a mask and is faking something, pretending to be something. So now you're catching what he's saying. Woe to you, God's judgment is on you you scribes and pharisees you religious people who are not transformed by faith for you're simply hiding behind a mask you're pretending to be something that for you're like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness so you also outwardly appear righteous to others but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness you see what he's saying here you can pretend with all the religious stuff that you're doing but if there's not a transformation that's internal then God's judgment is still on you nothing's changed you just put a lot of practices and disciplines in your life but there's no transformation to that so he's given them a warning and here's what he says it's not just about them but it's also about the people that they're leading into this here we are again woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces for you neither enter yourselves nor you allow those who would enter to go in. So now he's saying, hey, this is bigger than you because your practice of religion without transformation is shutting the door to God's kingdom for you. You teaching others to be religious without transformation actually shuts the kingdom of God to them when they would enter into it if they just understood that salvation doesn't come by works, it comes by faith. So woe to you. Okay, We are not a church that is promoting religion. We are a church that promotes Christ crucified. And in Christ crucified, there is a practice of our inner transformation that could be identified as religion, and it is. It's the practice of our faith. The faith comes first. Religion doesn't come first. And then one final in this section that that Jesus gives to us. Oh, I'm sorry. There's not a final one. (laughs) Jumped ahead. Uh, And so James, in this, characteristically of Jesus, wants people who are religious to test themselves. See if what they have is genuine. And here's a three-part test that James says, here's what you ought to do. Ask yourself this first question. Do you tame your tongue? Does that sound like a question about faith and authenticity? Does it sound like the test question number one do you tame your tongue james says if you think you're religious and you don't bridle your tongue instead you deceive your heart your religion is worthless man i mean that's pretty out there isn't it? it's pretty bold And what James is doing, I think in this verse, is he's giving these bright flashing lights to first help us to recognize that our heart can be deceived and religion can play its role in deceiving our heart. And so if you claim religion and you don't see the authenticity of a transformation from the inside, then your religion is worthless. The practice that you're doing is worthless unless it comes from an inward transformation. So he says you ought to be bridling, controlling, taming your tongue. Now, the purpose of a bridle is to control the movements of an animal. Usually it's an animal that's pretty strong and has its own will. Uh, When I was growing up, we had some horses, and we would always bridle and saddle the horse. If we ever thought we were going to ride without bridle, that was not very smart of us, because that horse would go anywhere he wanted to go at any speed he wanted to go. But with a bridle on and with the reins in my hands, even as a little boy, I could control that really strong horse because the bridle was the key. What James is helping us to recognize is if you're practicing religion and your tongue is not bridled, then your tongue without transformation will go in any direction that it wants to go. It's a powerful it's a powerful part of who we are so as christians we submit our hearts and lives to the lordship of jesus christ and we live surrendered to the guidance of the holy spirit so he the holy spirit holds the reins right the holy spirit by the transformation and the working of christ in us and the word of god that is imputed to us and we read and we memorize and we meditate on all of that is the bridle for us it garners if you will our heart which is expressed in our words. So the bridle is really a good analogy for the tongue because we are to be submissive as a horse is to be submissive to the one who holds the reins connected to the bridle. So a person shows evidence of a submitted heart to Christ Jesus when it's evident that the tongue is controlled. According to the Bible, a person could actually be religious and with an out-of-control tongue recognize that their their religion is worthless so what we say what we post and what we share matters because our words reveal our heart so if your heart the inner transformation has happened to your heart your old heart was dead with sin but Christ Jesus gave you a new heart He made you to be spiritually born from above. That's his wonderful gift of grace. He imparts his word to us. He he gives it to us and he declares us to be righteous. Then he takes up possession. He lives within us in residence in us. His nature becomes part of who we are. And the expression of that is in our words. Our words identify what has happened or perhaps not happened in our heart. Now go back to... Jesus' words to these who were religious, in this case, he's talking specifically to the Pharisees. He says, "You're a brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? So you're attempting to have words that are good, but actually inside you is still evil. It's the same way for all of us. We're born into this world with evil. We're born with the flesh that is against God. We're born sons of the devil. That's what God says. Christ Jesus transforms that our faith is given to him our trust is in him and he makes those of us who are sinful actually makes us to be saints there's a great transference our sin is given to Christ on the cross he dies with it and his righteousness is given to us anybody want to say amen to any of that because that's good news but here's religious people that he says now how is it that you think you're going to speak good when you've got evil in you And he gives an illustration. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's the truth. And here's the illustration. A person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and an evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give a for every careless word they speak. If I just could underline on this, I would underline this section right here. There's a day coming in judgment that you and I are going to give an account for every word. Word spoken. You know why? Because every word spoken reveals our heart. And if our heart is still evil, then our words are evil. And if our heart has been transformed to be good, being born from above, then those words will be good. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So in other words, if you have new birth in Christ, then you have new life in Him, you're born spiritually from above, you've been given the nature of the Holy Spirit, then your words should reveal it And here's the way Jesus says it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You're not going to be able to religiously tame the tongue. The taming comes from the heart that's ruled by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God who bridles us. So every word of our mouth reveals every content of our heart. Every word that is spoken is like coming from the crevices of our heart. It just gets flashed forward every area that we have in our heart gets surfaced at some point with words. Perhaps the evidence is even more when there's tension and there's stress and there's frustration and there's hurt. And man, do we not have a lot of that in our world right now. So we ought to be very guarded with our mouth, tame our mouth, tame our tongue, because on impulse, we can reveal what's in our heart as the political and ideological and racial divides prove more evident in our country, it is absolutely essential that every spoken word by every Christian measure perfectly with God's great redeeming work in their hearts. Your words matter right now, incredibly so, We must tame our words so that they reveal the nature and the truth of God that has been imputed in us, that has been imparted to us, that word that has been deposited in us. It ought to be evident in our mouths. And James would say, if it's not evident that the word of God is in you, then you ought to ask yourself a question. Is my heart deceived? Is my religion good? If the words of our mouth don't equate with God's word, then we've got trouble. What does God's word say that ought to be broadcasted by us? It ought to be spoken by us. Here's what God's word says. Every person, every person on the planet regardless if they're white, black, brown, yellow, red, whatever color they are, whether they're rich, they're poor, Jew, Gentile, every person is made in the image of God. Every person. And every life, from conception all the way to death is sacred unto God God has purpose for every single life there's not a single person that God does not have a plan for God does not have purpose for and the purpose is ultimately that he would be glorified by their life so every life is sacred and that word ought to be expressed by us that's what ought to be coming out of our mouth because that's the treasure of our heart And the treasure of our heart is that Jesus Christ came to break down the walls of separation. Whatever it is that the culture tries to bring in separation to us, whatever it is, whether it's race or religion or rich or poor, whatever the dividing walls are, Jesus Christ came to bring those down, make us together that we might be one, that we wouldn't be one color or another color, one race or another race, one belief or another belief, that we would be one body in jesus christ he breaks down separations and he makes us unified in his final prayers among the people who were listening to him they heard him say father make them one as you and i are one when you and i had communion today the word communion alone helps us to recognize that god is bringing us together in fellowship with him and in fellowship with each other It's the reason why we did that individually in this place so that we might show that, yes, we are individuals saved, but we are one body in faith in Christ Jesus. And those are the words that ought to be coming out of our mouth. Amidst the chaos of our culture and the overabundance of opinions and spoken words and posted words, every Christian ought to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You say, I don't know what words to share right now. I don't know what words ought to be posting right now. I I don't know the words to express. Then listen to James' instruction. James' instruction is simply this. Why don't you be quick to hear and slow to speak? Just quick to listen to the Holy Spirit. Quick to press towards His Word and slow to speak. And He'll direct you he'll direct you from a transformed heart so religious people ought to recognize that righteousness wholly belongs to Jesus Christ if you're going to be righteous and you're going to be religious it will only be by the transformational work of Jesus Christ you'll get your righteousness not from your religious duty you'll get your righteousness from Jesus Put your faith in Him, and then practice that faith in your religion as you've been transformed. So the first question of his test of authenticity is, is your tongue tamed? Is it evident that you're not cursing people? Is it evident that you're not lying to people? Is it evident that you're not bickering with people and gossiping with people, sharing untruths? Is it evident that your tongue is tamed Because the Spirit of God has a reign on your heart. It's transforming you. And the second question is: do you actively care for the afflicted? So he says that religion is pure and undefiled before God the Father. This is what it is. Visit the orphans and widows in their affliction. So if you're looking at your religion, your practice of faith, and you don't see a movement towards the vulnerable, then James would say, that's a red flag. Your religion could actually be worthless. It could be that you don't have transformation in your heart. So in James's day, the most vulnerable in his society were the widows and orphans. They didn't have the means to have resources. And if they were going to have anything, it would be because somebody was compassionate towards them. So Christian authenticity ought to be evident in that we move towards the vulnerable. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God has taught us how to care for people who are vulnerable. If I could just go back a little bit in in the time when the Lord was speaking to his chosen people, the people of Israel, here's what he said to them. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. Bring no more vain offerings. Now, time out. Because if you know anything about the historicity of, of God and his relationship with his people, he was calling them constantly to worship. And the worship was to be to him only, right? I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any false image. So there's the the top two of the top 10. Worship me and don't put me in a form that could be worshiped. And the way that the worship went on was through sacrifices and offerings. Because all of those pointed to the day which they would ultimately be fulfilled in christ christ would be the final offering the final sacrifice he's a high priest like none other he's the high priest that not only gives sacrifice he is the sacrifice and where everybody else has to continue in their sacrifices jesus has this one sacrifice and he sits down at the right hand of god the father so it's a one and done for him So all of the sacrifices and the offerings of the Old Testament were really important because they were pointing to ultimately Christ Jesus and His redeeming work by this final sacrifice. But here God is saying, I don't want any more of it. I don't want it from you. Bring no more of them. I can't endure iniquity and solemn assembly. I can't handle your sin when you gather together in worship. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I don't like it when you gather together for worship. Why? Because something's gone off in your heart. And all your practices might look right on the outside, but your heart is filthy. And so he says, I'm wary of of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Now watch this. He says to them, Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Now, how does that happen? How is that expressed? Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct opposition. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Now he's saying, if you're going to sacrifice and you're going to offer then do it in a transformation of your heart. Do it in relationship with me. Let it be evident. Now, ultimately, this is going to be fulfilled in Christ Jesus. They were having faith that God was going to bring the ultimate sacrifice in him. And because of that faith, it should be transforming them. And the transformant should be that they're doing good. They're seeking justice. They're correcting opposition. They're moving towards the fatherless and the widows. Man, if there's ever a time that Christians need to show the revelation of the transformation of Christ and the imparted word and the working of the Holy Spirit, it's today that we would seek to do justice and good. We would move to those who are oppressed and those who are vulnerable. This time for us to show and reveal the transformation that God has done in us. And then he says in verse 18, come now, let us reason together let your sins though they be like scarlet let them be as white as snow though they are red like crimson they shall become like wool and of course Isaiah was ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ who alone can take away our sins and make us pure who can cleanse us and make us right he alone can transform us and make us new and the evidence of that is we do good and we seek justice and we correct opposition and we rally to the cause of those who are vulnerable particularly the fatherless and the orphans uh, and the widows so we should be active in that kind of ministry now we should be that way collectively as a church and individually so as a church Meadowbrook seeks to be moving towards the vulnerable one of the ways we do that is through open hands it's a benevolent ministry where we feed lots and lots of people We've been doing it for years just recognizing that some people are vulnerable and we ought to help meet their needs with food and clothing and personal hygiene items and we share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ we pray with them and we encourage them and every time we engage in that ministry every dollar you give to that ministry every session you're there in that ministry whether it's at the warehouse or at the uh, open hands benevolent ministry center every time you have stepped in a movement towards the vulnerable and you're revealing a transformed heart when you do that another one is way of the cross Way of the cross has the majority of its board by its legal documents to come from meadowbrook we support them and fund them in a significant way and we're there throughout the the days of the week and i'm encouraged by that and every time that happens we have made a step towards those who are vulnerable And we help those who are without fathers, specifically trying to come alongside and encourage those who are in foster care, those who are helping foster children without parents. And we come alongside them in simple ways. Like, why don't we provide a night out for the foster parents, giving them opportunity to have a date night? Why not give them, without cost, the required um, classes that they need so they can continue in their certification. Meadowbrook coming close to them, and there's another one that's just about to start. If you look in your handout, you'll see a new ministry that's highlighted there called uh, Families. Hmm, can't remember the name of it. Families Count. There it comes. <laughs> uh, Family Ca- Families Count actually moves towards the parents who are vulnerable to losing their children, and tries to mentor them, counsel them come alongside discipleship with them so that the family unit can stay together we believe in the transformation of the gospel do we not that it can make an impact on on parents so that they can make an impact on children and so if you want to be connected to that ministry the next steps are there for you in the handout so the first is tame the tongue the second is moving towards those who are vulnerable how are you doing in the test so far number three is just as difficult it's do you keep yourself clean from the world James says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the father is this keep oneself unstained from the world now if you're not careful you'll hear this mantra that says um, be not be in the world but not of the world and that's that's a good statement but but I want you to know that Jesus has called us to be very much in the world Be sanctified, be holy while you're in the world. But this is our call. Here's one of the final passages. Jesus has prayed. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask, listen to the big verse. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them, make them holy in the truth. What truth? God's truth God's word of truth the Bible make them holy by the truth your word is truth as you sent me into the world so I have sent them into the world so we're going to be active in the world but we're not going to become stained by the world we're commissioned in the world to share God's truth God's remarkable truth but at the same time be sanctified in the midst of it live a holy way and not be stained by the world So it's pretty commonly known around here that my wife and I like to garden. And this is the first year that we've actually put the garden in the place where it is. A few years ago, just a handful of years ago, where we have our garden now was a pine grove. (laughs) And if you know anything about gardening, you know pine trees and gardening really don't go together. So it's gonna take us a while to get the soil amended to the place that it can really be fruitful and productive. And it will take us a few years to keep amending the soil. Sure, we're going to have some harvest this year, but next year will be a lot better, and the next year will even be better than that. But right now, if you looked at my hands, you would see stains all over these hands. The stains are from the weeds that I'm constantly pulling. It's virgin territory, and there's a lot of seedbed there that has to come out. Now, my dad, every Saturday would bring out the car and he would wash the car for sunday church anybody have a dad like that what now you just go through the uh the subscribed car wash don't you but my dad every saturday would wash the car because that car was going to be driven to church the next day and he did not want it to be dirty i catch myself not washing the truck or the car i catch myself scrubbing my hands because i don't want to go to church with dirty hands You see, the more I'm there messing with those weeds, pulling out those weeds, the more the stain of the weed gets on my hand. And I scrub and I brush. I do everything I can, but the stains remain. Now, what James is saying is that you and I need not to be engaged in the weeds of this world. They'll stain us. Keep your hands clean. Are you going to be there in the world? Absolutely. That's our call. That's our commission. That's what Christ has called us to. But keep your hands away from all those weeds. Over time, Kay and I will build up the soil to a point that the weeds won't be near a problem. But that land will be very fruitful in the day ahead. I'm going to tell you, the more you amend your heart with God's word, the better your heart will be to walk unstained let this be the truth and the treasure for you stay here there's an amazing exchange that takes place the more i receive it the more i think about it the more i meditate on it the more i sing about it the less stained i am by the world why don't we do that that's pure and authentic religion so how'd you do on the test how'd you do would you say your tongue is tamed would you say you moved to the vulnerable would you say that your heart and life is unstained you say well Randy honestly I'm struggling with that I've got good news for you the Lord knew you would struggle that's the reason why he made provision for you that's the reason why he gave you his written word that's the reason why he gave you a teacher called the holy spirit who will help you with this word that's the reason why he put you in a body of christ this faith family that we might together grow in our likeness of christ jesus let's pray together lord our hope is built on nothing less than jesus blood and righteousness we don't trust in anything else. We don't trust in religion. We don't trust in practice. We don't trust in anything other than Jesus for our transformation. Maybe there's some in this room that have yet to place their faith and trust in you, and today will be the day. God, thank you for that. Thank you for the hope that is available in Christ. I pray now that you'll pour grace so that they might receive in faith that it won't be about a practice, it'll be about a relationship, and out of the expression of this relationship will come a practice that is authentic. I pray that would be good for each of us and glorious unto Jesus, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.